The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks Team Coverage Podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia. It's Friday. Happy Friday to everybody. January 27th, the day before the Hawks return back to State Farm Arena and take on the Los Angeles Clippers tomorrow night before the big West Coast road trip that is looming. And I've been alluding to in the next episode, I will talk more about that West Coast road trip after the Clippers game, but the Hawks end their two-game skid in Oklahoma City in a game that was much closer than it really should have been. Uh, They had a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter, allowed the Thunder to come back and make things very, very interesting down the stretch, but a big defensive play by DeJounte Murray blocking Shea Gilgis-Alexander's shot, uh, some mistakes by Shea Gilgis-Alexander down the stretch, bailed out the Hawks from another lead that they just gave up in the second half of a ball game. We saw that a few games ago against Charlotte here in Atlanta, and now we almost saw it again in Oklahoma City, but just as predicted, we knew that Trey Young was going to have a... Not a statement game, but he was going to put on being back home in Oklahoma City area. And he certainly did that. Uh, But he wasn't perfect in that game. And, And that's okay. Because players around him stepped up in his deficiencies in the game. Even though he had a brilliant game scoring 33 points going back to Oklahoma City. But every... Hawks starter scored in double digits and every Hawks starter had at least 18 points or more. So it was a team effort, certainly, you know, outside everybody honing in on, you know, Trey Young's 33 points, 11 assists, three rebounds, 91, just under 91% from the free throw line. He was 50% from three and 50% from the field. So a very efficient game. He was certainly in his bag the entire game. And I'm not taking anything from his bag because plenty of you, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, have been complaining about him not being an all-star game starter, which I have my thoughts on, on that. But we're going to talk about Wednesday's game first. As I said, the Hawks escape. From Oklahoma City, winning 137-132. Overall, a poor defensive performance, especially in the first half. The Hawks scored 77 points in the first half. That is great. That is terrific. But they also gave up 77 points. And typically games, and I tweeted this out, where the Hawks give up a lot of points but score a lot of points in the first half, If they don't make defensive adjustments in the second half, they typically lose those games. And 
the difference in this game was they did. Oklahoma City scored 43 first quarter points, 34 second quarter points, and then third quarter, 27 points in the third quarter. And then they end the game with only 28 points in the fourth quarter. And I'm, I'm only seeing only 28 points because when you compare it to 34 and 43, that is improvement throughout the game. So they definitely got some stops in. There were some mistakes and turnovers from Oklahoma City down the stretch and some spells where their offense was stagnant and the Hawks were getting it going. Another thing was ball movement. Ball movement got better as the game went on until, and it's almost formulaic at this point, when they get into the fourth quarter, they turn to more hero ball with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, who are our best players. So if anyone's going to do hero ball, it's them. But when the defense expects it and just hones in on those two players out of the five that are on the court offensively, it makes things easier defensively to just collapse the defense or trap the primary ball handler, which is Trey or Murray, and force them into tough shots instead of spreading the ball around, making all five defenders account for all five offensive players that the Hawks have on the court. And then you can take on one-on-one battles and play hero ball because you have the threat of moving the ball around and someone else getting involved in making a play. And it's something that we continue to see from the Hawks. And outside of that, and recently the trend of a lot of turnovers from the Hawks, the last two, three games, they have been turning the ball over way too much. And it's cost them in some regards and almost cost them on Wednesday night. And that's habits that we don't want started here in Atlanta. I mean, they are already embedded in this team, but those are things that we cannot afford to do. We have talent, but we don't always play the hardest. We don't always play the cleanest. We don't always play team basketball or have a team offensive scheme that's going to stress the opposing defense. It's going to have to be a team effort, which is one of the continual keys that I have on this show. It's team basketball, ball movement, team defense, communication, connectivity. Those are the things that are going to win games. And it happened late in this game in Oklahoma City, and we're just glad that they got it done. As a team, the Hawks shot just under 60% from the floor. So there was no defense played in this game at all because Oklahoma City shot 52% from the floor. The Hawks shot just under 38% from three, which is above their season average, so that's good. The Thunder shot 44% from three. No defense played. Hawks got to the foul line 33 times, which helped which helped, and they were just under 79% from the free throw line. So that's a win in my book. They out-rebounded the Thunder. That's a win in my book. 26 team assist. That's a win in my book. Ball movement, a lot better, especially late. 31 team assist for Oklahoma City, which led to them being pretty much in rhythm, especially in that first half offensively, was ball movement and backdoor cuts and getting to the basket, getting into the paint and whatnot. And speaking of getting into the paint, the Thunder, who loves to shoot the three ball, 
They are really good three-point shooting team and shoot a lot of threes. Outscored the Hawks in the paint 72 to 64. So that is on the team for team defense. You can point to your front court and say, hey, we need more rim protection. But if they're not connected on the defensive end with the other three guys outside of the paint, outside of your forward and center, that's on the team, not just on them. That's putting a lot of stress on Capella and Akongwu and John Collins and others who are in the post. And not having DeAndre Hunter again for a second straight game hurt their team defense. So, again, it's defense. It's turning the ball over. It's lack of ball movement in hero ball in crucial moments are the Achilles heels of the Atlanta Hawks that they have to work through. And that's going to get them beat on Saturday against the Clippers, who are playing much better than the last time that we saw them. When we saw the Clippers before, they were on a four or five game losing streak when we saw them in L.A. When we see them tomorrow, they'll be coming in on a four game winning streak. And they are as healthy as they have been all year with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard coming to the State Farm Arena. Now, you know, there's always a coin flip as far as load management. Are they going to play? But I would expect them to play. They're not on the injury report as of today on Friday. But those things, especially when the Clippers are really good defensively, turnovers, lack of ball movement, that's going to get you beat tomorrow. 17 turnovers is inexcusable. And Oklahoma City scored 24 points off of those turnovers. Oklahoma City had 20 fast break points to 10 for the Hawks. That's inexcusable. That is completely inexcusable. Like just poor defensive execution. Almost got them beat. That's what let the Thunder come back in the fourth quarter when the game seemed well in hand. You got out to a 13, 13 or 15 point lead at that point. And the next thing you know, they just keep chopping away and chopping away. You make mistakes. You get stagnant on offense. And next thing you know, it's a tie ball game. You, 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 can't, you can't keep doing that. You can't. I mean, it's just formulaic at this point. It's formulaic. So we're happy to have escaped Oklahoma City with a win. Elated almost to escape Oklahoma City with the win. And like I said, Trey Young had help. He had help. Like I said, he had his 33 and 11. Did have five turnovers, though. And him and Murray were responsible for nine combined turnovers. So you cannot have that from your all star guards. Well, one of them may be an all star. Uh, DeJounte Murray was not voted into the all star game. And we're going to talk about that here in a bit. But you can't have nine turnovers between your two best players on the team. You just can't. Nine of the 18 turnovers were from your backcourt. Starting backcourt, as a matter of fact, we cannot forget that little caveat. But offensively, DeJounte Murray did help out. He did help out. And defensively as well. We cannot forget the one big block in the ending of the Oklahoma City game. DeJounte Murray had 21 points on Wednesday night, 9 of 19 from the floor, just around 47%. He was 1 of 8 from 3, so he should not be taking 8 three-point shots. He should not. 
Um, I know he's been in a rhythm lately from beyond the arc, but there's no need for him to be shooting eight three-pointers. Five maximum for DeJounte Murray, in my opinion. So one of eight from three, hit both of his two free throw attempts, only had two rebounds, only had three assists. So three assists and four turnovers is not good. Not good at all. But again, the one block saved the game. So that was good. Capella was 100% from the floor. He had a really good game, in my opinion, scoring 18 points. He had 10 rebounds, including five on the offensive glass, added a steal and a block. Uh, was not great from the free throw line, but we don't expect Capella to be great from the free throw line. But 18 points, 10 rebounds was certainly a lift, along with John Collins having a solid game. Um, even though he had his four fouls, he had 19 points, shot 58% from the floor. He was one of three from three. Hit all four of his free throw attempts. He had 10 rebounds, four of on the offensive glass. So 20 rebounds between Collins and Capella. So they really cleaned up on the glass. So really good play from your two forwards. And then Bogey, who got the start for DeAndre Hunter, who was out again. 20 points. He finally... In that Chicago Bulls game, when he hit three threes, even though he wasn't super efficient, it's like the light bulb finally went off. It's like, okay, he's seen more than just one or none go in from the three-point line. And look, we saw the light. We saw the light. And 20 points from Bogey, 7 of 11 from the floor. So just around 63 Almost 64% from the floor. He was 4-7 from three, so 57% from the three-point line. Did miss two free throws, but got four attempts, two of four. We'll take that. Four rebounds, four assists, one steal, one block, one turnover. Really good game from Bogey. Probably one of his better games in the last eight games or so. So it was really great to see that contribution from Bogey. And then off of the bench... Aaron Holiday had a really good game. He's, he really set the tone defensively, in my opinion. He really did set the tone defensively, and he kind of sparked his team. Only three points, not a lot in the um, stat category, but his contribution should not be overlooked. A.J. Griffin with another solid game off the bench. Nine points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals. He was one of three from three, two of four from the floor, and four of four from the free throw line. Nyeka Okongwu, who was back from a hamstring injury from the Chicago game, eight points off the bench, added five rebounds, had two assists, one steal, two blocks, three turnovers, but we'll work on that. Four or five from the floor, shooting. And then Jalen Johnson was six points off the bench. He was two of three from the floor, hit both of his free throw attempts, had eight rebounds and one block, so a really good game from Jalen Johnson off the bench. So it was a team effort. Everybody who touched the floor scored for the Hawks. You just got to get better defensively. So offensively, outside of the turnovers, I liked what I saw from the Hawks. 137 points is always good. But giving up 132 to a Thunder team is not good also. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander had 36 points for his team. Added seven assists, five rebounds, two steals, and two blocks. Josh Giddy. Did not shoot the ball well from the floor, but they end up with 16 points, eight rebounds, six assists, two steals, 19 points for Kenrick Williams. He is a 3 and D guy and a guy that 
I think the Hawks should have targeted, you know, for the last few years to just add some depth. But 19 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists from him. 24 points for Jalen Williams, who I really like. I have him on my fantasy team. Really good young player. He was 11-16 from the floor. He hit one three-pointer. He added five rebounds, two assists, four steals. He was really good on Wednesday night. And then Lou Dort, 12 points, four assists, two steals for him. And then off the bench, Isaiah Joe added nine points. Uh, the former high, Mike Muscala, was six and so forth. So, and it's funny, everybody who touched the floor for Oklahoma City scored. So, not a lot of defense being played, but it's always good for Trey Young to go home and get a win. He already he already puts on big performances in Oklahoma City, but it was great that he had the team performance behind him. So, he really didn't have to do a he didn't necessarily have to do the heavy lifting, but he got in a rhythm. He was putting on a show and that's just what Trey Young does, but the show that he put on did not get him an all-star starting spot, which has Atlanta Hawks fans and others behind the scenes in an uproar. So we're going to touch upon that after this quick plug. Okay, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues and every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon Ash Ketchum had Gary, and I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikhail Bridges before any other ranked list? I know which one. It's the Brewskies 150. And you probably turn those huge wins into some cash or a fantasy basketball championship. This year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues. Beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. As I said before the break, we're going to talk about Trey Young not being an all-star starter this year. After the Hawks win on Wednesday, they move back above 500, 25-24, 8th in the Eastern Conference. They have a game-and-a-half breathing room in front of the Indiana Pacers at 9, and they're just a game-and-a-half behind the New York Knicks right now at 7, and two games back from Miami at 6. So they're in spitting distance of you know, the seven and the six seed in the Eastern Conference. So a little bit more work to be done. But back to, you know, Trey Young not being an all-star starter. So when you, and they put the votes out, they announced who the starters were for the Eastern and Western Conference yesterday. And among those in the Eastern Conference was not 
Trey Young. So the starters in the Eastern Conference were Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Those were the starters. And the graphic that I tweeted out has what players ranked each of the All-Stars voted, what fans ranked them, what the media ranked them, and then they, the average weighted score from the three scores they got. And when you see Trey Young for guards, out of the guards, they were ranked, and I mean Trey Young, he was ranked the 12th best guard in the Eastern Conference amongst his peers. And the crazy thing is, whoever was 10th and 11th were not all-stars. They, they didn't even, they're not even in the graphic. They voted him the 12th best player at the guard position in the East. Now, the fans voted Trey Young 5th. And the media ranked him 6th. So his weighted score was 7. But they have him as the seventh best guard in the Eastern Conference. Weighted score. And players had him 12th. The people they had in front of him is pretty much everybody. Kyrie, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, DeMar DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland, Brunson. They're all higher than Trey Young. And, I should, and to add injury to insult, LaMelo Ball was injured for a lot of this first half of the season. Tyrese Halliburton is injured now, even though he has played in the all-star level. James Harden has missed games. It's Here's the thing. Did I think he should have been an all-star starter? I actually don't. I don't think he should have been an all-star starter. I think he should be in the all-star game. And we will see how that meticulates as far as the reserves. But there's a lot of Trey Young stands and homers that are not happy about it. And I'm just going to keep it a buck because that's what I do here in this program. Like I said, I'm not surprised. And you got to think, the Hawks and Trey Young had a relatively slow start. He did not look great early in this year. He wasn't shooting well. He wasn't efficient. The team didn't look great. There are issues surrounding this team, and a lot of it can be pointed back to Trey Young, whether you believe it or not. There are rumblings that there are players not fond of playing with him and not fond of him at all. That's just a fact. You can call them haters or whatever, but that's a fact. I have sources close to the team that there are players on the roster that don't like playing with Trey Young. That's a real thing. You can call them haters too. Yes, he's our best player. He's our best scorer. We need him. But there's some things that Trey Young does behind the scenes and on the court that rub people the wrong way on his own team. And if the outside world, as far as players around the league, can see that and feel that when they play Atlanta, or they if they have friends and communicate with people on this team, why would they rank him higher? You got to think about that. His style of play is not the, the most respected around the league. 
You have the slow start. You have this narrative around you. So it is what it is, in my opinion. And I hope that this inspires Trey to play even better, to take this personal, elevate his play and elevate his team, most importantly, for the second half of the season to make a playoff run and shoot for an all NBA spot. That's what I tweeted out because I said the one fact remains you can dispute this or not. Maturity in his game and leadership still needs to take place for he and the Hawks to go to places that they desire. And I think his peers recognize that too. They know that he's a talent. Or else he wouldn't even be on this graphic. But there are things that he needs to do maturity-wise that will take his game and his team to the next level. Managing the game better. Managing down the stretch better. Making better decisions. Having a more than conscious effort outside of statistical numbers of getting assists to get people involved within the flow of the game to keep that offense in flow. To know not when to jack up a three that is early in the shot clock just so you can match the three that was made on the other end. Not get caught up in the back and forth. Get caught up in, hey, this is a new possession. When I bring the ball up, what is? how can we maximize this possession? What play do we need to run? Who do we need to get involved? Maybe do I need to take charge? Those little things, he takes two steps forwards and three steps back a lot. And those are things that he needs to get better at. So is his narrative, is his play, is how he's perceived, all of that led to his peers ranking him lower. The fans rated him higher. He has a strong fan base. And that's great. He's a showman. He loves to cater to his fans. And I do appreciate that about Trey Young. The media, who I thought would have ranked him a little bit lower, were right behind the fans. Those are good things. So the narratives in the quote-unquote leaks and the stories that people perceive about Trey Young that they don't think is true, which may actually be true, did not necessarily affect the fans and the media. So that should tell you that if players are ranking you lower, it's about you. And hopefully he takes it personally and constructively uses it to better himself and his team and get this team out of the eighth seed rank in the East and move them up the, the, the standings. That's That's the hope here. That's the hope. So am I like the people who say, oh, he got robbed, blah, 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 and all this stuff? No. No, I don't. I mean, when you when you look at it, Kyrie's had a great year. Donovan Mitchell's had a great year. Jalen Brown's had a good year. I think Trey Young's better than him, but Jalen Brown's had a good year. James Harden's had a almost a most improved player year or comeback player of the year type of season so far. Tyrese Halliburton, you can't deny his impact on that Indiana team. With them being out, they've lost five or six, and now they're going the wrong direction. They're 2-8 and eight in the last 10 games in Indiana. He's a big impact on that team. He's a really good player at the guard position in the East. 
DeMar DeRozan is DeMar DeRozan. LaMelo Ball is a talented player. We really had not seen much. He hasn't been healthy. That's the one that I would question above him. Darius Garland's had a good year. He's been in and out of the lineup, but he's had a really good year. And obviously Cleveland is the fifth seed in the East. So they're taking that into consideration. And then Jalen Brunson's had a good year, and the Knicks are higher than the, the Hawks right now in the East. There's arguments for everyone except LaMelo Ball on this list. And you can be slighted, hurt, you can have an opinion, and you're entitled to that. But the fact does remain that there are things that Trey needs to change and mature in. And do I think he does it? I hope he does. But that's ultimately for him to decide and take upon and take onus of. Take ownership over. Hold himself accountable. Which is something that he's been questioned by the media here in Atlanta and internally. By play by people not ownership in the in management that appease him. These are facts. So like I said, I hope he channels this positively, not just for the sake of his numbers, but for the sake of his team. He wants to win. No one is going to question him wanting to win. But it's how you win. It's how you play. It's how you treat your teammates. It's how you get them involved. It's how you elevate your teammates. Those are the things that need to get better for Trey Young and this Hawks team to be better. There's going, there are some of you guys who are going to look at his numbers and think he's done enough. But when you really watch games objectively, there's still more to be d done. There's still more to be done. And that's not a criticism of him. It is an observation of, hey, there's still more for him to grow. He hasn't hit his ceiling yet as a point guard in this league yet. His talent has got him to this point where he's a perennial all-star. But the change in narrative, and we know, I don't know if he won a, a, a state title at North Norman, Oklahoma High School. I don't know if he did. I know they didn't have a winning record at Oklahoma. I know he hadn't had winning records early in his career in the Hawks. And then they added more around him and things changed. And we've seen when he gets everybody involved and manages the game well, the pinnacle of that, aside from some luck, he got to the Eastern Conference Finals. But to get back to that level, you have to continue to put trust in others and hold yourself accountable. So we'll see if he holds himself accountable and elevates his team and himself this second half of the season because Lord knows they need it. For this run. Now, I want to talk rumors real quick because, as I told you guys before, as February 9th approaches, there's going to be more and more rumors out there, and particularly talking about John Collins and where he may end up. In a recent article from The Athletic Today, Kelly, Kelly Eco, 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 um, don't know how to pronounce it, but for The Athletic, wrote an article about. John Collins rumors and maybe the Houston Rockets being a landing spot. Houston is looking for some vets. They have been gauging interest in 
engaging in conversations about John Collins and they're just floating ideas between the two teams. And this is also a team that we're familiar with doing business with. We got Clint Capella from Houston a few years ago, and that's turned out pretty well for the Hawks. In my opinion, you guys may think other, but I think it's turned out very well for the Atlanta Hawks. And this article talked about obviously Collins' desire for change and maybe Houston and other teams' reluctance to take on his contract. You know, five years, $125 million, uh, especially with the uncertainty of what the future cap space for each team is going to look like. Do the Houston Rockets want to go in and spend money on Collins and hurt themselves for free agency in the summer? I mean, it's not like Houston is outside of the city. The franchise is an attractive place for free agents. So what do you have to lose? But that's just my opinion there. So, and then Miles Turner is a player that Houston is eyeing, especially with his ties to Texas. A veteran player, rim protection, stretch the floor. Play well next to Shingun. So that's another player that they're supposedly looking at. But they proposed this three-team trade because everybody knows that Jay Crowder and the Atlanta connection and he's still not playing for Phoenix. And I, I get all that. And they proposed a three-team trade between the Hawks, Suns, and Rockets. And remember, the West Coast road trip, we do travel to Phoenix. So, in theory, you can have that conversation in person and then three-way call the Rockets. And who knows? This could be real. But this is all speculation at this point. The proposed trade would see the Hawks receiving Jay Crowder, Dario Sarge, and Landry Shamit from the Suns get a lottery protected first round pick from Houston in 2025 and a first round pick from the Rockets that's via the Brooklyn Nets. The Suns will receive Eric Gordon and Kenyon Martin and the Rockets receive John Collins, a lottery protected first round pick for the Suns in a three-team trade. And apparently this trade worked out by the trade calculator on ESPN. Interesting trade. I mean, you get wing depth, floor spacing, a little bit of defense with Crowder, even though he's an aging player, and obviously someone who'll be off the books soon. I don't know how much longer... Well, here's the thing. Jay Crowder and Sarge are both on one-year deals. So we would get them for one year, and then they'll be off the books. Landry Shaman is $9.5 million for four years, and that's a shooter, and you know you need more shooting and more floor spacing, and we know he's really good catch and shoot. It's a very interesting trade to think of. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts if you've read the article or you're listening to this, and feel free to hit me up and tell me what your thoughts are. I don't have an opinion either way. I see the pros. I see the cons. I don't know if Houston is willing to give up two first-round picks in that, but I think that's what's going to make the trade work for Atlanta to really give up John Collins is that they want first-round picks to recoup the ones they lost in the DeJounte Murray trade 
that Travis Schlenk was reluctant to do, but Nick Ressler reportedly was pushing for. And that's a story for another day. But you're going to continue to hear rumors, see articles and so forth until the trade deadline. And until something happens, it's all speculation at this point. So don't get too high or too low or too emotional over these rumors. We just want to see how things play out. That's what it all comes down to. Last thing I'm going to talk about is a little bit of this Clippers matchup tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, 7.30, State Farm Arena, Clippers 27-24. and 24. They're 13-13 and 13 on the road. Right now they're fifth in the Western Conference. And as I said before, they are on a, I want to say a four-game, yep, four-game winning streak. Paul George and Kawhi are healthy. They are gunning for the Pelican spot at four who are on a six-game losing streak. Everybody above them, four, four, three, two, one in the West, has either lost a game or more in the last few games. So they're looking to climb up and playing with some confidence. The Clippers have, in the last few games, have beaten the Spurs 131-126. They beat the Mavericks 112-98, the Lakers 113-115, and the Spurs 138-100. So, Spurs twice inferior opponent. Mavericks, who are hot and cold but still have Luka, they held them to 98 points. They beat the Lakers. They were the quote-unquote road team, but obviously same arena they play in. And put up 133 on the Lakers. This is a team that's been playing better offensively. And they're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And like I said, you have a healthy Kawhi, a healthy Paul George. And if DeAndre Hunter is not good to go tomorrow, that could cause problems. Because Lord knows you don't need to be trouting out bogey to guard Paul George. And that's a tall task for rookie A.J. Griffin, which means you may have to consider putting Jalen Johnson in the starting lineup, in my opinion, to add size and some defense. But you worry about keep him getting in foul trouble. So, And with Justin Holiday reportedly on the trading block, you're not going to utilize him. We haven't seen him in the last several games. So the big keys for tomorrow is going to have to be the Hawks got to take care of the ball. You got to have ball movement. You got to take care of the ball, limit your turnovers. You're going to have to rebound effectively because you know what Zubach did to you last time. He was really, really effective on the glass. But you have Capella, you have Collins, you have Nakongu who are healthy. But it's going to have to be team rebounding. Real big key is DeAndre Hunter has to be healthy for you. Has to be healthy. I feel like that's a must in this game because DeAndre Hunter did a really even though Kawhi still got his, he did a really good job defending Kawhi last game. And I would expect Murray's going to be on Paul George if you don't put Jalen Johnson out there. But it's going to be, they're going to be switching a lot. They're going to have to keep these guys in front of them, force jump shots, and keep them out of the paint. That's going to be pivotal 
for this Hawks team going against the Clippers tomorrow night. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be a really good game. In the last game at home before they're on the road for five straight games out west. So you want to leave the Hawks fans with a good tasting in their mouths before you travel out west against some teams that you should beat. They can beat you. You're on the road. You're you're away from home. And anything could happen. The only player they have on their injury report as of right now is Marcus Morris. Norman Powell's been playing well. Zubach has been playing well. You know what Reggie Jackson can do? They have a decent bench. They do. You know Norman Powell likes to have good games against the Hawks. So it's imperative for this Hawks team to take care of the ball, move the ball around, have ball movement, Communicate on defense, protect the paint, keep people in front of them, force tough, contested jump shots. And they can hopefully pull out of this game with a win. As really as good as a defensive team the Clippers are, you're going to want to have to push the pace a little bit, score within rhythm, within the flow of the offense, And if you can stress them defensively by attacking by numbers and not just two players, i.e. Murray and Young, you have have a chance to win this game tomorrow night. They're the slight favorite, but it's a pick them. I mean, 50.4% the analytics give Atlanta a chance to win. So it's virtually a pick them. I would love to see what the point spread is. I would have to say it's probably a point, maybe a point and a half in favor of of Atlanta, if I had to guess, could be opposite with the winning streak that the Clippers are on. But it's not about what the Clippers do and who they have available. It's about what the Hawks do. And and that's what every game has been coming down to. Are they taking care of the ball? Are they moving the ball around offensively? Are they protecting the rim? Are they keeping people in front, communicating on defense? If all those are yes, They're shooting a higher percentage from the floor. They're taking care of the ball, rebounding fairly well, and getting to the free throw line, and they're winning games. The Hawks are going to go against a team that's going to probably relegate them to try to keep them out of the paint and shoot more threes and jump shots. The Hawks have to attack the paint all year, we've seen when they do an inside-out game, attack the paint, attack the paint, attack the paint, and then kick it out to shooters, that's the recipe for wins for the Hawks because it opens things up offensively. They need to do that again tomorrow. They're going to have to force the issue. And if they're guarding the paint hard, make the officials call fouls. Put the, the stress on the officials to make a call. Put the stress on Naaman Millen to work the officials. Those are things that they're going to have to do tomorrow night in order to get a win. This is a huge game. Every game's a huge game. I'm tired of saying that. But this is a really a springboard game going out west before you take on Dane and the Trailblazers on Monday. So we'll see. Those are my keys to the game. I'm excited to watch the game tomorrow night. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it and tell everybody about one of the hottest new podcasts covering the Atlanta Hawks. You know the drill. Share with fellow Hawks fans, NBA fans, Georgia sports fans, basketball fans. It does not matter. 
put them onto the program, have them write a glowing review about this program, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's on Apple, or on the website at sportsethos.com. We're checking out all of our content that we have on there. We appreciate you guys' support and you guys' listening ship. And I want you guys to keep on coming back because I'm going to keep coming back as well. You know the drill? Stay on top of our stuff at Ethos Hawks on Twitter. That's at Ethos Hawks. And then follow myself on Twitter at Brad Jarrett67. That is Brad J A R R E T T 67. We'll catch you guys next time. Let's go, Hawks, and B L A.